Welcome back to episode 27 of the Capital Spotlight podcast. In person today, in the Silicon Valley, the heart of the Silicon Valley, we're in Santana Row uh, right now. Uh, of course, your host, Craig McGrother, the Director of Business Development, alongside, of course, the Principal and Founder, Rob Beardsley. How are you today? I'm feeling good. I'm excited to host our little mixer tonight. That's going to be a good turnout for for us to pop into the Bay Area and see a lot of our good investors here. Absolutely. Well, we're going to be very intentional, and we'll get to you guys about that. We'll recap uh, our 2023 and our experiences at Lone Star this year, some personal business, of course. So this will be a recap show. Uh, but yes, we are we are very excited to enhance what we've been doing uh, off the last couple of years, which is, of course, has been hosting investor dinners. But considering the growth of the firm and, frankly, the demand that we've had for A, live events, but B, just for Bay Area events, we're hosting a incredible and beautiful uh, night tonight at the Sharon Heights Country Club, which we'll be hosting around 60 people, which we're very excited about. So from 10 people last year, maybe tops, to 60 people this year, kind of just shows the growth that we're experiencing at Lone Star, our demand. Um, so we're really pumped to get in front of a lot of people, uh, get face-to-face with so many of the great people that I've spoke with on the phone tons of times. Obviously, you spoke with uh, some you know past clients of, of your family and stuff, so it'll be a really fun night there. Yeah, and it also speaks to our commitment to in-person events, and events makes it sound a little... Grandiose. N- yeah, even grandiose or just kind of contrived. It's more so than just hosting events. It's also just in-person connections. That's actually the Correct. important element, and we are kind of going away or opposite the grain where people are hiding behind their computer, their email, their phone call, their Zooms, not wanting to do in-person stuff. We're seeing tremendous value in the in-person networking and connections that we can build with our investors. And that's actually, funny enough, one of the big pieces of feedback that we got from our annual survey. So every year, we send out a survey to our investors, and we ask them uh, typical survey questions. Net promoter score is the first one, which is how likely are you to recommend us to a friend, Uh, which is obviously a critical question that all companies ask their customers. It's a word of mouth growth is the most important thing you can do in your business. But also we ask things, how can we improve? Who did you work with? Did you have a good experience, bad experience? All sorts of things, just ways that we can level up. And one of the feedback pieces that we got was, uh, we'd love to connect with you in person, right? So obviously we have investors from around the country, so we can't be in person with people all the time. But one thing for sure that's going to be improved upon in 2024 is the concerted effort that we're going to make to going around the country and meeting with our investors in person. Absolutely. So when we go to these Texas trips or wherever it may be, it's very much so a tough challenge because we aren't trying to linger for forever. We obviously want to be efficient on the company dollar and you know the money allocated there. Also our time, we have so much going on. Usually we're filming at a property or touring properties. Um, but it would be great to maybe moving forward, extend just one extra day for me there for five days or four days. What's the extra difference of one day and really making, you know, clients being kind of the, the focal point of the, of the entire trip and kind of squeezing people in there, uh, throughout the trip and extending it a day as opposed to kind of getting in and out as quickly as possible. There is a lot of value in that for sure. Yeah. I mean, aside from the value and benefit of meeting with investors face to face, there's also value in having the investors 
meet our properties face to face. Absolutely. Right. And so, see, see our teams. Yeah. Kinda, you know, maybe if they can meet Aaron, obviously. Shout out Aaron, the EVP of Radiance Living. Uh, so really tons of value. And, and with that said, we're going to be in Texas, Houston, and San Antonio looking at some of our newest acquisitions coming up here at the second week of January. So we'll be out there for that and, you know, want to make sure that all of our capital partners um, are invited out there uh, to, to tour the property. And, you know, a lot of people, we just know them through Zoom. We know them through maybe a LinkedIn, whatever it may be, have a couple phone calls. But to, as you mentioned, uh, about the Bay Area event, but to, to be with them in person will be great. And I think something I would like to do is make sure that we have a Texas event, you know, mm -hmm. a New York event, a Bay Area mixer, because, hey, we're all going to be out in the Bay Area for the kind of this Christmas time regardless. So for me here regardless, might as well make an event of it. And then if we could have kind of a, maybe an H1 event somewhere in Texas, that would be cool. Newport Beach is also for sure in the running, considering all the family offices and the great investors we have, and just the appeal to, for a lot of people to get to Newport. It's not pulling teeth there. So, Yep, yep. Yeah. I think we can put together a pretty fun travel schedule. And to your point, we can build on our existing travel schedule and be more proactive and thoughtful. If we're already planning a trip to Houston, why can't we wrap around more FaceTime with investors and put together a day where we invite people to come and see the properties, meet us, meet the team, and, and just get more comfortable. Absolutely. So real quick before we get into the year review as we're looking forward, uh, if you are a fund manager, if you have a 1031 exchange, if you're looking to partner with a group like us, maybe LP and deploy some, some money into uh, some incredible uh, multifamily Texas opportunities, my email is craig, C-R-A-I-G, at lscre.com. I'm sure you've never heard that on this uh, uh, podcast before, but once more, craig at lscre.com. If you're looking to partner with us, learn more about our new opportunities, we do have ambitious goals in 2020 four of $300 million of acquisitions, which basically means we have to do what, about 80 million of acquisitions a quarter, uh, just a little bit under that. I believe it's maybe 70-ish. I don't know, my math might, might sound awful if uh, you're doing this in real time, but we're off the cuff here. But uh, with that said, we're gonna need uh, more you know, uh, contributions from our past partners uh, and the current ones, of course, and obviously new ones. So you're uh, gonna need all the firepower we need. So if you're looking to partner, learn more, uh, please feel free to reach out to me, call me, text me, whatever it may be. My information's out there, very easy to find. So quick call to action. Now let's get into the meat, in the meat and potatoes of the show, which of course is the 2023 year in review, which you guys are getting a sneak peek to this because this is coming out on Christmas. So by the way, happy Hanukkah to those who celebrated and Merry Christmas to you and yours. If you are watching the show uh, live on the day. Out. Exactly. Yeah, so this show's coming out on Christmas Day, December 25. We're recording this just a couple days prior. Uh, but, so Craig convinced me to actually walk through our annual letter. So I don't know how our Capital Spotlight podcast listeners are so lucky, but they are so lucky uh, because they're going to be able to hear the contents of our annual letter that goes out in our monthly newsletter on January 2nd, but you guys get to hear it on Christmas Day. So uh, exciting stuff. I've got the letter here. It's almost finished, uh, but it's certainly ready to, to share the highlights. So how do you, do you want me just to start going ahead through or? Yeah, well, you know, you wrote it. I, I uh, am seeing this in real time uh, with you, uh, the viewer, and listen to it uh, live. So I'm not too positive to it. So uh, I'll let you quarterback this one. I know it's something you don't really, uh, haven't done <laughs> recently too much quarterbacking it, but I'll let you quarterback it this time as well. Sounds good. Okay, so the first section of 
our annual letter starts with our acquisitions. So in 2023, our, our goal was a bit too ambitious, right? Mm -hmm. we, we were on top of the world. We closed a lot of deals in 2022, and we thought, okay, 2023, we can do $350 million in, in acquisitions across Dallas and Houston. Super easy market to do, uh, you know, $350 million of acquisitions in as cap rates are, you know, tight and uh, rates are running up. So the market changed, as we all know. There was a tremendous drop in transaction activity, down 80%. And so we did not meet that goal. So we ended up in 2023 acquiring $145 million in property, roughly, across 884 units. And so even though that is less, substantially less than our <clears throat> goal for the year, I still consider it to be a pretty successful year. We were in the trenches. We dealt with a lot of issues, and I think being able to accomplish what we did on the acquisition side was still a big win for the firm. Yeah, and let's just talk about real quickly the properties that we did. Unfortunately, have the opportunity to uh, you know raise the equity and procure the debt on. So that was Candlelight Park, uh, which was a 120. I'm just reading off this yep. by the way. 128 units. Not that I don't know this uh, top ahead, of, of course. Correct. But 128 uh, units that we closed in March. Uh, this is a you know nice garden style. Uh, property there in Dallas, uh, 1980s vintage, uh, had a lot of original units that need to be remodeled. So this is just a classic down the fairway, uh, made sense kind of in any cycle, any point of it, um, kind of a how could you not buy with incredibly uh, small amounts of, I know, new supply coming up, things like 1% of supply was coming there, which is obviously very rare in Dallas, which seemingly has got new construction coming up all over the place. So importantly, Regarding Candlelight Park, this was our first acquisition in Dallas, yes. right? So Dallas is a market that we've been privy to, have been somewhat active in for a while, but just never acquired anything just because Dallas is such a competitive market. You really need to bring your A game if you're going to compete in Dallas. So we made our first deal happen in Dallas, which is a big win. We have a full-time regional manager who is already in Dallas right now. So our team is well-positioned to set up and scale further in Dallas. And we absolutely intend to do that uh, for mul multiple reasons. Number one, in my opinion, I do think Dallas is probably the best market in the country. I think that, uh, you know, we're already scaled up in Texas, so it's, it's a very natural growth place for us. And then a, a big factor as well is the fact that we have a lot of investors that want to be in Dallas as well. So that's a big driver for us. So we're excited that we did get our first deal in Dallas and that we should do a bunch more in 2024 there. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about and being a little retrospective and uh, thinking back on that process and that raise and it was actually really easy and of course it was easy for multiple reasons. I mean everything's, I can't say easy, but it was a lot easier than what we endured throughout the rest of the year. I remember this deal specifically had an interesting just because it was interesting because it basically raised itself right away. There's a ton of interest. There wasn't as much friction. Um, and uh, that was an awesome opportunity. Uh, a lot changed on this deal in the raising environment. Obviously, as the year progressed, his dollars became a lot tighter. And um, problems in people's portfolios really started to become uh, more uh, widely spread. And then also, you know, pause distributions happened, which kind of caused investors' dollars to get a little scared, uh, which had a trickle-down effect naturally from capital raisers and such. So, but that was a great deal. Um, I think we're, we're all really happy with that. It seems as if um, I read the monthly reports and the property is doing pretty well, it seems. so. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and to your point, 
things that can have continued since then to deteriorate on a fundamental basis, slightly, but a bit. On the capital market side, things have been very volatile, right? We saw a big rise in rates, and now they've come down a bit. Short rates remain high, right? The Fed continue to raise rates, not lower them yet. But as we know, the tighter it gets to raise equity, the better the deals are. So, and, and we're seeing that play out now, and we'll, it's gonna play out in a big way in 2024. But let's, let's try to breeze through because I think while acquisitions are exciting, we talk about them a lot and I think there's other elements of the year and of the newsletter, yeah. or, or of the annual letter rather, that are definitely worth mentioning. But just to go in order, the next acquisition that we closed on was Azul, which was a 90 unit 2020 vintage deal that we closed on in July. This was a super exciting deal and we, we've talked a lot about it on the show, honestly, for how small of a deal it is. But we talked about the fact that it was <clears throat> adjacent to a property we already own, Park at Champion Forest. Uh, this, putting the two deals together was a really great win for us because Azul's an awkward 90 units. And so the average buyer looking at this deal would have to go, oh, I'm gonna have to staff this with a manager and a leasing agent and two maintenance people. And before you know it, this thing has a huge payroll and it's only 90 units, right? And so we have the benefit of already having 230 odd units right next door. So now, with over 300 units in total, it's a very efficient payroll across the two properties. It's a huge win. And then like we've talked about a lot on the show, hmm. we did Azul entirely with 1031 exchange equity. So I think we had what, four or five? Five total 1031 exchanges. And so what that means is investors in our network were had sold property, whether it was a rental uh, property or commercial property or anything, they had sold the property, they entered into a 1031 exchange, they identified Azul as their 1031 exchange upleg. We structured Azul as a tenancy in common, so that way our 1031 exchange partners were able to actually legitimately 1031 exchange into the offering with us, and then we were able to handle everything for them, make it a seamless transition because as many of you know, 1031 exchanges are a ton of work and they're very stressful, and we have a great team that handles everything from you know Dasha to Josh to you and and Kent and everything to really put it all together and make it an easy process. So very proud of that, and that's uh, that's something that we're definitely looking to do more of. I know that because transaction activity is down, there's just less yeah. people buying and selling, so there's less 1031 exchanges happening. But really importantly, the thing about 1031s is when you sell a deal and you have to 1031, you have to 1031, right? You need to acquire. It's the most motivated equity you could ever run into, which is the best. Right, so if you can be that right solution, it's a very good win-win. So then breezing through, something that also we've talked about on the podcast Mm -hmm. is the Houston three-property portfolio that we acquired. And this was unique because this was done at a time where, when no one else was doing deals. And it, it made some headlines because of the fact that nobody else was doing deals, right? Closing a $100 million deal is, is it's nice, but it's not actually big news, right? People are closing $100 million deals all the time, but not at this time. And the reason why we were able to do that was because we actually were able to get a 100% property tax exemption. And that made the numbers pencil at a time where people weren't really able to make deals work. We had some amenable sellers that we were working with. We were able to negotiate price discounts and whatnot. So... That was a 10-month-long process to get those deals done from negotiating with the sellers, with the lenders, with raising the equity, and with, of course, working with the local housing authority to negotiate 
and agree and actually get approval approval on the affordable restrictions, the property tax exemption. We had to work with the mayor's office in Houston to make all that happen. So it's, it's big business and very stressful when you're dealing with political entities like that and seeking approvals where, you know, someone can just wake up on the wrong side of the bed one day and change their mind. And we were constantly fighting an uphill battle there. So I have a lot of thoughts and I know you said we want to breeze through this, but we're not going to breeze through this because it's too significant to the year. I feel as if on my end, and obviously it's not like I'm the only one raising, you obviously do a lot with me, but I'm probably a little more in the weeds now. You could easily say you're obviously on more macro and I'm more micro for specific deals. Um, but I basically feel like I had to raise twice for this deal. True. The second half, once we got the approval and kind of the second half of the year, and then the first half. And then in addition to that, not only did I feel like it was, or I raised for this twice, but the amount of equity with it being $40 million, effectively made me feel like it was like a double raise on top of it. So it kind of felt like doing essentially like four raises and one just getting this to the finish line. So I feel like I learned so much about the business and the raising process from likely what will be the hardest transaction we'll ever have to raise for in our career. I mean, hopefully we are doing a billion dollar deal where, okay, the, the, you know, the stakes just get bigger and it's just more equity. But from a, I guess, stress level and a you know, bandwidth level, in a, a time process level, this was just a really big doozy and an undertaking. Um, as I just mentioned, due to the delay associated with the deal, keeping everyone interested, keeping everyone uh, down, you know, moving down the deal because time does kill all deals. So, you know, updating people with effectively no update, but saying, hey, this is the latest uh, was a lot. And I'm just excited to never have to talk about this deal again. So <laughs> that's what I'm looking most forward to in 2024 is to not have to deal on my end. Obviously, the real work is going to start now, which is, of course, you know, implementing the uh, the rent restrictions and, you know, the uh, obviously the enhancements to the property. Of course, that is the hard work. But my work is, you know, once the raises are basically done, uh, my hands are kind of wiped clean of the opportunity, uh, which I love personally. Uh, but with that said, this was a, you know, for the, the sole premise of basically the first half of the year, second half of the year and dealing with this property throughout the entirety of it was just a very long and unfun process, I would say. That was you know, kind of a sobering experience I had. Just like, oh yeah, the, the market is changing in real time uh, from a fundamental perspective, but then also, oh, you know, Craig, welcome to the fun and lovely world of tax payments, tax credits, and uh, affordable, uh, the affordable arena, which has so many wrinkles and you are, due to the complexities, to a certain extent at mercy of, you know, some of the higher ups, the housing authorities, um, governments, uh, kind of items of that nature where, you know, you, you really just have to relinquish control um, from someone in my position. So that was a, a really great learning lesson that I uh, had to deal with this uh, this year. And I feel like I got a lot smarter on this deal. And as I said, I'm excited to not have to worry about nor raise for this opportunity again. And hopefully the efforts that we do in the next couple of years, uh, all that will translate into $300 million of deals, not, you know, $105 million, of course. Yeah, it was definitely a long drawn out process and time kills deals, like you said. And that's one of the elements that I'm very, very proud of regarding that deal is that we didn't have many investors at all back out nope. of the deal and say, you know what, I've had my money sitting in escrow with you for X amount of time. I'm over this. Please give me my money back. The fact that our communication was proactive enough and that we had built up enough trust with our investors that they were willing to ride it out with us, given all the uncertainties and the changing market, speaks volumes. So that's a big 
big piece of that deal. Another thing that complicated this whole thing was that while we were under contract on the three property portfolio and dealing with all these uncertainties, we had another property under contract in Dallas called 1001 Ross. And so Ross was a mid-rise asset in downtown Dallas, built in 2003, really attractive deal, good location. I believe in the growth story. Goldman Sachs is developing a huge tower right near, next door. It's, it's all very exciting stuff. When we put that deal under contract, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was about 3.5%. It since went on a run to about 4.5%, which is a huge, dramatic difference, and obviously threw our pro forma upside down. And we couldn't, with the new rates, new rate environment, we couldn't close on the same purchase price. So we attempted to do everything we could from negotiating a price reduction uh, to potentially changing the terms with which we were offering to our investors or changing the business plan. There was just... We exercised basically every angle. Yeah, possible. we tried to do everything, yeah. and at the end of the day, there was nothing that we yeah. could do. And so... And, and I, you know, it's funny. I bet that the seller wishes they took a retrade because there's just sure. no way that they're getting the same number just where caps are in Dallas and where they're moving. So right. shame on that person for not taking the opportunity that they had to say, hey, bird in the hand. It's not as if we're the only buyer in town, shop in town, that would basically do the same thing considering uh, the nature of you know treasures running up like that. Right. So, yeah, you're totally right. They probably should have. What we were asking for was modest. I mean, we were asking for, I think at the time, around a 10% price reduction. So we were willing to squeeze and make it the deal work and compromise. And a 10% price reduction would have been great because we've seen cap rates uh, in Dallas as like everywhere else blow out and they've just continued to widen. So there's no way they're going to be able to sell for that price within the next 12 months. I don't want to say no way because frankly, Dallas is just that competitive a market. It would feel pretty improbable though, to your point. Yes, yes. So long story short, we ended up making the severe decision to walk away from the deal and we ended up we as in kent and i who are the you know the owners founders of lone star the decision makers the decision makers the principals we put up uh, a lot of money almost a million dollars at risk to, to, to pursue this deal and we ended up walking away from it and what is also painful is we had the money about 15 million dollars sitting there ready to close the deal as well so we had all the equity in a bank account ready to close the deal but we just couldn't put our investors into a deal that the numbers had changed so dramatically that we didn't believe in at that price and terms. So we ended up telling those investors, hey, sorry, we're not going to proceed with the deal. And we managed to, you know, we worked hard to communicate why we're making the decision and to make sure our investors weren't pissed because, you know, here they thought they were investing in opportunity. They were putting their money in, you know, basically taking opportunity, cost, risk. Uh, a lot of those investors did move over to the Houston portfolio, which was a, a you know a win-win situation, if you will. But yeah, it was a, it was a painful decision, but definitely looking back on it, the right decision, absolutely, because we we learned from the experience. We are in a better position, not owning that deal at that price, and we're going to move on with our lives and buy much better deals in 2024. Yeah, I'm a big believer that you know buying every market, just make sure the base is right. And naturally, we moved our basis on the Houston three property portfolio as kind of treasuries and rates changed. Um, we kind of got a more modern, basically pricing on the deal, if you will. Uh, but the Ross deal, it just 
was really challenging to make it make sense, unfortunately. And from a basis perspective, I think we'll be really appreciative that we did not try to put a square peg in a round hole there and force any you know acquisition just because we want to get a couple of fees on the front end, knowing that on the back end, we'll have to answer for our work and kind of turn that in and get the grade and give the report card back to our parents, if you will, which is our investors. So uh, walking away from there, I thought proved a lot about us and you know kind of what we're looking to build and, and go through here. And you know, it kind of said to me, just as you know, an employee, of course, hey, you know, the people here at the firm are willing to walk away from a million dollars because they view their business as a billion dollar business. And if you view your business as a billion dollar business, walking away from a million dollars, not that it's an insignificant amount of money, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, jumping over a penny. You just let it sit there and you move on, of course. So that was really cool to see that that, you know, obviously happened and it was the right thing in hindsight. And I'm very happy that we don't have to answer for that in four or five years if uh, we can't hit the projected numbers. That's right. Yep. It's all about long-term thinking, delayed gratification, all those good things. So next step is probably at this point, not news to a lot of people, but in 2023, in the back half, we decided to enter into San Antonio. That's a new market for us. We have a deal under contract in San Antonio right now, and we're really excited about the market. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about it. It's a great workforce housing market with a lot of product that we like, and there's also opportunities to implement affordable housing strategies uh, that we have had success with in Texas that fit our business plan and goals well. So. We're excited to be making things happen in San Antonio, and that means we're in now three markets. So we're in three out of the four major markets in Texas. Nothing against Austin. It's just you can't be everywhere, and we'll probably be in Austin at some point. Yeah, there will be a unique opportunity from some sort of inside information. Not that it'll be illegal, but inside information in the sense that a potential LP or broker or capital partner I feel like we'll source us something where it's like, hey, this is kind of unorthodox, but I have an opportunity that, you, you know, it's a how could you not make money on an opportunity for a group that doesn't have, you know, a presence there. And that's probably the point where we would go in. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't see us getting there anytime soon, but it could definitely happen. I do think just focusing on what we're doing right now is, is awesome. Um, and maybe it'll be in two, three years when all those units are going to come online and places are getting really, or you know, units are not absorbing correctly, and we can buy a 2010 asset for you know, well below replacement cost. That is maybe you know high 80s occupancy, but it's just beaten up right now due to the competition, and then it'll settle itself out once uh, the new units kind of get figured out. So that's kind of ideally where I, I'd want to angle that for sure. Yeah, and focus is, has been our standout feature we really think that focus is a great pillar of success so if we don't need to be in another market why right we can if we can be successful with our existing market focus then let's just stick there and do that so that's that's our approach to growth eventually we will want to scale outside of texas even and have more diversification because actually going back to our investor survey one of the biggest complaints that we got from our investors was that we don't offer diversification because if you think about it if an investor views us as a 10 out of 10 and they love us, how much capital as a percentage of their total investable capital can they realistically invest with us, right? They can't invest a lot of their capital with us because we only offer a select strategy. But if we offer multifamily investments in, in Texas and then in other markets that are 
different, then that can make them feel more comfortable with more diversification, and then they can invest more with us and feel good about it. So that's another reason for expansion. Well, selfishly on our end as well, a lot of our net worths um, at this firm, if we stay here long enough, will be tied into, of course, to the real estate that we buy and you know how it performs and so, full cycle, so on and so forth. So at a certain extent, if we were too imbalanced and weighted too heavily from our own portfolio in, you know, said the three markets in Texas, that might be a little bit silly. So from a, you know, a financial responsibility perspective, by the time that happens, we'll also probably all be ready and wanting to diversify and put our money in maybe in Arizona, a Tennessee, something like that, perhaps the Carolinas. But my guess would be considering that we already have weather issues here and insurance issues, we'll go for a state that would accommodate an easier structure, which Arizona or Tennessee would likely hit that. Not that I don't know everything about Tennessee. I don't know what the, the weather stuff's there, but I can speak to Arizona being incredibly modest for property taxes as well as uh, insurance costs, which is kind of the opposite that we're experiencing uh, in Florida and, of course, in you know select parts. In Texas, uh, in Texas and the Southeast, yeah. some, some part of the, parts of the Carolinas. But yeah, Phoenix has no issues on the expense side of the PL for sure. So that's compelling to say the least. So moving on to the portfolio, Lone Star has acquired 514 million in multifamily properties in Texas since we started the company. That consists of 3,600 units across 17 deals. We're very fortunate to own and quality locations. This is, this is the whole reason why we buy in Texas is because it's landlord friendly. There's a lot of job growth, population growth. Everything is humming along still, even as the U.S. economy on a macro level has slowed down a bit. So we're still seeing good fundamentals, but I think it's going to slow down. As we head into 2024, I think finally all the rate hikes that the Fed has done is going to be felt in the real economy. And I think that we're going to see something like a could be one and a half percent increase in unemployment next year, which absolutely, if you see that many people lose their jobs, it's going to trickle down into the rental market and you're going to see a softening of rents, increase in concessions, vacancy, less collections. So Probably crime going up too, naturally. And unemployment absolutely. goes up, crime also goes up as well. Right. So while we're kind of thinking about that and preparing for that, we're still seeing good performance in our portfolio, which is amazing. And what we are also very fortunate to have at this point in time is only three floating rate loans in our portfolio and only one bridge loan. So with only one bridge loan, we have the capacity to stay on top of our portfolio, stay in good shape, portfolio is in good health, we're not going to be in distress. Whereas if we had 10, 20 bridge loans in our portfolio, that would be a very difficult situation to manage. And you know, I, I don't want to speak on other people's portfolios or what could happen, but certainly those sorts of things, those realities are going to play out over the next year or so where there's going to be capital calls, foreclosures, rescue capital, dilutions, and, and discounted sales and stuff like that. So we're very fortunate to, knock on wood, be able to avoid those sorts of issues in our portfolio. To that end, and also just to kind of speak on our proactive nature, Right, and, I, and we've talked about this timeline on the show before, but going way back when, before the Fed even started raising rates, I want to say, Kent and I, we, I don't want to say we were prescient, we, we saw the future, but we, we saw what was going to play out. We saw, okay, the Fed's going to, they, they, they made an announcement, they're going to raise rates. 
The Fed effectively lied to us because just a few months before that, they said, we promise we're not going to raise rates for two years, lower for longer. That didn't happen. But once we saw that the Fed was going to raise rates, we just crunched the math and we saw, oh, this is not going to play out well. We saw that floating rates are going to go up. This is what's going to happen to cash flow. We have to pause distributions. And so we paused distributions a quarter or two before the majority of other firms paused distributions, which I know you may have, people may, may have heard me say this before because we've talked about this saga before, but when you pause distributions first, you take a lot of heat. You get called out. Why are you pausing distributions? What's wrong with you as compared to somebody else? Why are you pausing and they aren't, right? What's different? And frankly, there's nothing different. It's just we paused early because we were proactive. So that's point number one of being proactive. Point number two is not accepting reality as it is and just being creative and thinking through how we can come up with out-of-the-box solutions. And so one of the biggest by far out-of-the-box solutions we came up with in 2023, which was something that we were working on even before 2023, were these affordable housing programs where we were able to get property tax exemptions, which is a huge win for our properties because you're eliminating your biggest expense, increasing net operating income, and you're able to stabilize the assets. So we were able to successfully do six of those transitions in 2023, and we did uh, f fixed rate refinances in conjunction with those properties that totaled over $160 million in refis. We were keeping lenders in business. Someone had to do it. It well, was us single-handedly. We, we called it refi hell, as yeah, we right, called it. Right, right, right. So we were very busy doing a lot of refis, doing a lot of stuff. It was, it was a big, big lift. And here's the thing. I, I'm not looking for a pat on the back, especially not me. What did I do, right? It, Kent is really the mastermind, and he's did an amazing job. And... Aaron maybe, did an amazing maybe job. Maybe one day we can afford to get him on the show. Maybe one day he'll bless us with his presence. Right. Uh, Nate also did a fantastic job. So I'm not looking for a pat on the back, but what I want to say is this was a lot of work, and we felt genuinely invested, and as we should, right? These are our deals. These are our investors. But the point I'm trying to make is we're not, we didn't necessarily put a ton of money in our pocket by doing this. We were just basically... Not today, at least. Not today, at least. We were fixing an issue. We were enhancing the portfolio. We were coming up with a creative you, solution. You were literally, actually, it's funny, and we even talked about this before, so I'm happy we're doing this in real time. We were literally doing what everyone needed to, or needs to do right now or last quarter, probably second half of 2023, or what they're going to do in H1, Q1, and Q2 of 2024. What we just did is what everyone's going to try to do, Obviously, they're probably not going to be able to get the structure that we have, but nope. they're going to try to fix and get into a long-term situation where they're going to try to basically avoid having their investors' you know, equity get evaporated, right? Um, and that's why we did it, frankly, is we did it solely because, or not solely, but I mean, obviously, you'd want to get these deals into fixed-rate debt, but that coupled with the tax statement plans is actually increasing what we thought you know the deal would probably perform like for some i mean some deals we even refied and gave like what 40 percent equity back i think on five oaks yeah. there was a massive cash back a lot of deals got some positive equity back but what we were doing in that time kind of the first half of the year and frankly probably i'm sure this wasn't just a couple month thing i'm sure it was also about this time a year ago you could speak to that better but getting that sorted out allows us to be in the driver's seat to actually capitalize on good equity and not chase you know bad situations and also 
more than anything else, I think from a psychology perspective, we're going to be very, very optimistic and happy as a firm, um, as opposed to a lot of people in 2023, or sorry, 2024, excuse me, are going to be in hell. They're going to be in a non-fun spot, having a lot of unpleasant conversations with not, hey, I have a new deal. Hey, I have a new update on this deal. Uh, you got to give us 50 grand or, you know, we, we, we have to have a capital call get met or your equity is about to get diluted. Well, let's, yeah. And obviously we've talked about these realities and if, to use a big word, vicissitudes that are going to be playing out in the market and to not name any names, but we were looking at that investor relations email yesterday, right? From a competing firm where basically they may not be competing anymore moving forward. Perhaps. Yeah, so they're basically yeah. sending a notice out to their investors saying, hey, so sorry, the property's getting foreclosed on. You're losing all your money, which there's no nice way to, there's no good way to send that email, right? That's just a horrible, horrible thing, and it's And we don't for anyone to lose money in the space because there is, you know, ultimately an effect that will come our way, like anyone's way. When the, the ships rise up because the tide is high, we all benefit because raising money is easier, but when the other end of the spectrum like this goes on, there is a residual effect that we feel too. But, so, but the thing that's crazy, and, and this speaks to the point that I've been making all year about capital calls, right? In that letter, I don't know if you read the whole thing, it talked about that they actually made a capital call in March of this year. And there's back to your favorite principle. Right, and they're still getting foreclosed on and losing the entirety of their investment. So basically, an investor, if they met that capital call in March, they, so first they put in, let's say, 100 grand, then there was a capital call in March where they put in 20. another twenty grand, let's say, and then that entire one twenty's gone. I'm not. I'm not saying that's exactly what happened. I'm just saying hypothetically. Hypothetically, yeah. round numbers. That's yeah. perhaps what played out, and what is playing out in that scenario. And that's a real life scenario of a email going out to investors, right? So, the point I'm trying to make, aside from you know, we're really thankful that that's not us, is. The fact that, going back to your point that you said, which is timing is everything, and being early is better than being late, right? And even though being early can be painful. Because you get scrutinized because you're being bold. If yeah. they made that capital call, perhaps six months earlier or a year earlier, they maybe could have saved the deal, right? So to your point, if people have their head in the sand and now they're just now waking up and scrambling and in 2024 they're looking to put together a solution by way of a restructuring their capital stack, a capital call, etc. I'm not saying it's too late, but it would have been better to be early. So that is a very good point. And also, I'll just read. Well, also, uh, real quick too, before we get into that, saving face on that. If you were early on that, do you get more respect from your investors, if you deliver that from a time, you know, you, you, hindsight will... Eventually. Exactly. So Eventually. If you were early on that and you kind of called the shot and kind of whistled or blew the whistle on it and kind of rung the bell and said, hey, this is a problem. We're seeing rates go up. If so, X, Y, and Z happens, this is what's going on. Let me try to mitigate it. Do you get credit for being uber, uber early? So I think we will at some point, but could this person have gotten that? And could, there, could they have maybe even solved for it and not had every cent get evaporated, but maybe only, you know, I guess 10 cents evaporated instead of the whole dollar. Perhaps, right? Being early is better than being late. So, and I'll, I'll just read this section, which just talks about what we've been talking about. So yeah. 
We felt that taking decisive action early was the best move to protect the performance of our investments. This proved to be correct as the Fed continued to raise rates through 2023 and long-term treasuries rose dramatically, making refinancing out of bridge loans virtually impossible. Heading into 2024, we only have one bridge loan in the portfolio, allowing us to focus on acquisitions rather than being bogged down with portfolio problems. So that is the happenings in the market and in the portfolio. And then one last piece as well that just speaks to our proactive nature and other things that we're working on to create solutions is we've submitted two applications for low-income housing tax credits, one being for the landing at Pinewood Park, which is an asset that we own in Lubbock, Texas, and Solano Apartments, which is 262 units in Houston. Solano is going to be a really exciting situation. We're putting together, I mean, fingers crossed, knock on wood, putting together a very exciting business plan there where we are working with the local housing authority there to get a tax exemption coupled with the low-income housing tax credits, coupled with state funds, ARPA funds, where they're basically giving us a grant to renovate the property. So we're getting money from every which way, and it's going to if it all works out, be a huge win. So really hoping and praying that all that comes together as that's going to be a big win for our investors where effectively in a down market, we'll be able to cash out our investors through new tax credit equity, which we don't really have time on the show to get into the nuances of low-income housing tax credits. You want to break out the the textbook on that? (laughs) This is LIHTC, by the way, low-income housing tax credit, LIHTC. More people probably privy to that term or heard of it perhaps. Right. Uh, but just to spell it out a bit more, it's a potential LIHTC program. So. Right, right. So through the LIHTC program, basically you don't actually have typical investors per se. What you have is, is a bank that will put in the equity that you need to buy the deal, but all they really get out of it are tax credits because the, the, it's a U.S. government program where you get 10 years worth of tax credits by investing into a LIHTC, a low-income housing tax credit project, and that's what banks do. They, they invest for the purposes of the tax credits. They're not really investing into the deal for the economic returns of it. And there's not really any room in this capital structure for typical investors that are seeking return. So what we'll be able to do, like I said, is buy out our existing investors, effectively have a sale. So what we'll do, it's going to... I'm super excited. If, if this works out, we'll be able to effectively sell the property on behalf of our investors and then the new tax credit investors with us managing that venture will be the new buyers and we'll take the old venture that is the seller and we'll 1031 exchange into new deals which will be happening in perhaps end of 24 or into 2025 at what could be a very good time to be buying into deals at very attractive prices. So with that said, if this does work out as beautifully as you just spelt out, what does said investor who is in this deal potentially get from an IRR perspective, like a mid-teen IRR, 10% IRR, uh, where is that potentially going to land uh, pending you know, good results? There's a lot of moving factors, particularly we've seen treasuries come down a lot over the last few weeks, which is helpful for the sizing of these deals because the bonds need to be sized and the, uh, the financing needs to size well to the treasury rates for DSCR purposes. So I would say that to under-promise and over-deliver mid-teens is what we are shooting for uh, there. That's going to be one of the few deals that was bought. And when was this deal bought? 2021. This might be the only deal with that financing associated 
that had a mid-teen IRR uh, on the, the deal. And if you did have a bridge or floating rate debt deal that exits in this year coming up that was bought in 2021 with a mid-teen return, please send that deal our way because we would love to look at it, see what went so well, and use it as a case study. And maybe we'll even deep dive it on the show. Yeah, so that's a good that's point. An open, that's an open invite. So, you know, it's not set in stone, but no. we're very excited and we're working on it. Yeah. And it just speaks to the fact that we're not complacent. We're not sitting around going, oh, well, the market changed. Sorry, you're not going to get the return we promised you, right? We take it very seriously and we feel genuinely... So wait, wait, what you're saying is we should bump up our asset management fees to 5% because that's how much harder we're working on compared to everyone else? No, we, we work hard. We work yeah. hard, yeah. So we, we truly are a partner, and as we should be, right? And we're, we're proving it, and yeah. we'll continue to do so. No, this is just unique, and um, once more, uh, you know, of course, like every firm, we have a market rate strategy, a down the fairway, just normal agency debt, no nuance to it, opportunity. But we also have our fund tax abatement deals, um, tax credit deals that you know provide a unique angle to maybe get outside returns. And if you're looking to learn more about those opportunities, once more, my email, craig at lscre.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about partnering with us or some of uh, the nuances associated uh, that you just laid out. Perfect. So the next section of the letter talks about team growth and development. So we are one th one thing we can't fully share all the details on but we are hiring a controller which is going to be a super exciting development it's and it's going to really level us up as a firm so wait, real quick we're not talking about PlayStation or Xbox here what is a controller in in the in in this regard is it it's basically to my understanding a CFO almost, like it's someone who looks at finances, is it accounting, is it separate? Kind of for everyone who may not be privy to this, what does that position do? What's the need of importance? And when would a group need to implement said person into their operations? Yeah, really good questions. So a controller is a part of the accounting department. Okay. So typically a controller will oversee staff accountants and report up to the CFO. So you have a CFO, then controller, then accountants. So for a small company like ours, generally speaking, you don't need to go out and hire a full-blown, super, super dialed-in CFO because you just don't have that much stuff going on that is need you don't need that level of expertise uh, full-time. So a controller is a good, happy medium. We're also bringing accounting in-house next year, so all the property-level accounting is going to be done in-house. Uh, rather than by a third party. So that's going to be a really great way for us to not only save costs, but also to have more control and produce our reports faster. Because so we can get our K1s out now in February, not March? <laughs> no. Still March 15 is the target. But monthly reports, which, going back to our investor survey, one of the complaints that we did get from some people is sometimes our reports are late, and that's absolutely a fair critique. And that is all obviously our fault, but... The reason why that happens is because our third-party accounting firm could be producing the report five days late, and then we have to take that report, review it, digest it, and then take it to the next level, add in our right. elements of reporting, right. and then we send it out to investors, right? So one of the big goals for 2024 for our firm is to completely revamp 
the accounting to reporting process. That means that our asset management department, our accounting department, and our investor relations all need to work together to revamp that process so that we can go from accounting statements to reports to distribution in a, in a faster, timely manner. And the critical element is it needs to take our team less time because as we're growing the portfolio, we have more and more deals that we need to produce monthly and quarterly reports on. And the, we need to just find a solution to spend less time and be more efficient with our time to produce these reports. Otherwise, we're going to drive ourselves crazy or have to hire more people. So controller is going to be a big win. They're going to be a part of that initiative to revamp that process. We have a lot of other financial and accounting related initiatives, right? Like I mentioned, bringing accounting in-house, revamping reporting. We're going to take a look at HR. We're going to take a look at uh, drawing a blank, but we have some other things that we need to work on and just getting more crisp with and more institutionalized with how we uh, account for everything. Yeah, I mean, we only did, I mean, I say only, and I say that because it's all relative to what you're doing. To a lot of groups, 150 million would be way outside of their goals. To us, it was less than half of what we wanted to achieve. But I think from a human capital power and perspective, kind of shoring up this side of the business, the interworkings of the Lone Star Skeleton and Nucleus will be incredibly valuable as we scale up our portfolio with hopefully acquiring $300 million next year. That's almost, that's adding 60% on top of our portfolio. So we'll go from 100 to 160% next year. So if we do that, we need to have just our systems in place. So that's really exciting to get kind of that foundation down uh, in order to get to you know our next levels. And you know unfortunately, my job stays consistent. I raise money for the deals and then I'm done and then it's the next deal. But what our in-house team obviously has to deal with is what, you know, and you're kind of probably deal with this less than Kent does, but you think about everything, of course. But on that end, you know, Kent and the, that team, you know, my workflow stays constant to a certain extent. Maybe I have a couple of raises going at once, but theirs could double or triple in the span of a couple of years just due to the amount of units, the amount of reporting. That all needs to go out. So um, kind of getting that going is going to be really crucial to our growth and expansion to make sure that we can still give everyone great service because, you know, maybe you're seeing an email getting sent out from myself or from Dasha, but really it was created from uh, our back-end team here. So it all kind of flows in that regard. So getting that all buttoned up and dialed is just going to be very crucial to the firm and um, a great way to expand out. Yep, it's crucial, and we want to be able to, want to, Kent and I, our goal is not to build the biggest company, right? And if, you, if anyone's watched our new founders video, our company video, I open the video and I say, we don't want to be the biggest company, we want to be the best. And we're not saying that in a cocky way, like we want to be better than everybody else. What we want to do is, it's actually a personal goal, it's actually a selfish goal. It's a lifestyle. Thing, we want really. to yeah. have the we don't want to necessarily just enjoy being the best. We want to enjoy having the best company. And what does that mean? It means that we enjoy working at the company. We're not too stressed out. We're not overworked. It's a good dynamic. Everyone's happy at the company. Purpose. Purpose, fulfillment, career development. Yeah. And, financial goals obviously. And if if people are being driven nuts because we're scaling up, adding more properties, and we don't have good systems in place to handle Bandwidth the additional issues. workload, yeah. it's 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 all for naught, right? What's the whole point of building this up if it's not in our vision of be it building a? I don't want to say stress free, right? Because that's just impossible. Stress and is good for you. Too. Stress is good, exactly. Yeah. But 
that's also in line with the goals here. So, so that's the controller. I'm sure as we get integrated, uh, as we integrate the controller. When I do an in-person podcast in New York in March or April, we'll give them a shout. Maybe that person will come on and uh, make a celeb appearance. I think they will. I think he or she will. So yeah, super excited about they, that. Them. Yeah. And the next person to highlight as far as team development is Hannah Wyatt. So she was brought on recently in December as our executive assistant which is going to be a big help, already seeing a tremendous help in the office. Everyone's enjoying working with her. Uh, super helpful to have somebody who's attentive and can handle things that we might not be thinking about or just freeing up Ken's time, for example, because we all know how valuable his time is to creating a ton of value for ourselves and our investors. So, so that's a, a big level up for the firm. It's about time that we have that. And that empowers us, I think, something interesting to shout out is to do things that are less scalable, right? Because it's one thing to press a button on the computer and send a thousand emails out to investors. It's another thing to have handwritten thank you notes, referral gifts, personal touches, and things like that. So Hannah is empowering us to do more things like that, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. Uh, she's great, and this will also have a... An amazing effect for Dasha because Dasha kind of gets bogged down with some of the tasks that she was having to do before, which probably are things she shouldn't be doing. Um, and then, you know, if we're really, really busy doing, you know, an in-person event or something, it goes to Dasha, then it goes to me. So uh, our Dasha will delegate some of those things to myself, which I obviously want to make her life as smooth as possible and vice versa, her to me. Uh, so having just extra support on both of our ends, but also uh, to kind of uh, streamline your life and Kent's life will just have an awesome uh, impact. So all very exciting, and that's uh, well needed at this point. Now that you've got, uh, you know, you're, we're out of the ba- parents' basement. Not that you're ever in the parents' basement, but now that we've got a beautiful brick and mortar uh, location in, in the Immaculate One World Trade Center, uh, I think it's super crucial to have that, and uh, it just totally makes sense to, to scale up with with someone like that in position. And she's uh, a joy to be with. So, yep, good stuff. So. I'll skip over kind of some of the, the promotions. You know, no one updates. needs to talk about me. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. <laughs> well, just just everything there. I mean, I just we should be shouted out. Uh, I mean, we'll shout out. Why don't we shout out Brad? Honestly, we give give Brad a shout. He deserves one. Yeah, we can give Brad a shout out. He was on what was that episode fourteen, perhaps. But yeah. so Brad was earlier this year promoted to director of acquisitions. He did a fantastic job as our acquisitions analyst, and he has since really stepped up and taken a lot of initiative on the acquisition side, uh, handling broker relations, touring properties, analyzing deals. Answering my questions, yeah. Which are your questions, ultimately. Helping on investor questions uh, on the nuances of deals, specifically, and then, of course, negotiating uh, when it comes down to uh, you know, getting these deals done. In three years, he's going to be, because I learned like my negotiation skills and just how much more comfortable you're going to get from my brokerage days to, you know, where I was and am now and, you know, my negotiation abilities as opposed to where I was, you know, just a couple years out of graduation. He's going to pick it up, obviously, you know, with how smart he is, likely quicker than I am, but his, his ability will be impeccable in a couple of years. So yeah. that'll be awesome. Yep, really good stuff there. Another great shout-out <clears throat> is the Fund to Fund program that we launched towards the end of the year. Huge. So that was a, a great win. We hosted a webinar on the Fund to Fund program. We have a Fund to Fund program document that we created. So if you're interested in 
taking a look at the webinar or reading over the document that we put together, feel free to reach out to Craig. I'm sure by now you already know his email. So you can learn more about what the Fund of Fund program is. And if you would like to partner with us, you can learn more about that there. So that was a, a big win. Uh, we have a lot of partners that we work with. We previously uh, had mostly worked with them in a co-GP capacity, some fund of funds, but making this concerted effort and, and setting up this more institutional process of the fund of fund program is really a level up and will allow us to scale more moving forward. It's giving the boutique capital raiser the institutional level tools to scale and to safely be in our opportunities and deals, which is crucial. Uh, it's an exciting new way to allow some folks who just were probably just below our acceptable limit that we wanted to have someone come in to raise. So now this individual has the opportunity to kind of come into our opportunities where he didn't before. That to us is beyond valuable and something that we think is really special. Um, as there's some people that are, you know, probably closer to our age who and their friends aren't millionaires yet, but you know, they're raising and they're super passionate about it. Well now, hey, maybe they can raise a half million dollars. But, you know, in the old system, hey, a million dollars was kind of what we needed. But now maybe they could bring half a million. And next thing you know, they could use that and ride that momentum into, you know, helping their families, you know, growing maybe something that is a side passion into a full-time, you know, career. So overall, just an exciting, uh, exciting process to implement that system. As you mentioned, we have a beautiful brochure. Uh, if you'd like me to email that to you, you have the email. And then also, if you go to our YouTube, you can go to this YouTube page where if you're watching on YouTube or anything there, or I can text it to you or email it to you. Uh, but that document's there on, on, under the Lone Star Fund to Fund. Um, I think it's, what is the Lone Star Fund to Fund program for the YouTube link? Something like that. Something like that. Very easy to find. On the marketing side for 2023, I'd say we had a pretty good year. No books were published in no. 2023. Slacker. Slacker over here. But with that being said, we at this point have published two books, the first one being in 2020. And then I really did slack off in 21, no book. And then in 2022, we came back with a vengeance and we released Structuring and Raising Debt and Equity for Real Estate. To date, we've sold over 20,000 copies cumulatively, uh, which is more than I ever anticipated. I never really had any goal for writing these books. It was just kind of a passion project. And then I really saw the gap in the market and the business opportunity. So we have really built a ton of relationships and established a lot of credibility in the market via these books. So I'm, you know, got super lucky, honestly, with writing the books because it was, wasn't a master plan, but it turned out to be, to have a master return, a huge, huge return on investment there. One thing that I'm super excited about is this right here, which is the Capital Spotlight podcast. So for a lot of pe for, for some people, they might remember the Capital Spotlight as its original form, which was back during COVID. I launched the podcast originally as a way to interview investors and learn from them and get them on the show and build a relationship. That fizzled out because it was hard. <laughs> podcast is hard work, and it's hard every single week to find a guest, to interview them, to produce the show, and all that. So I recorded about 25 episodes, and then I went about my business. And this year, we relaunched the, the Capital Spotlight podcast, but in this new vision, which is now not an interview-based podcast, it's me and you, a way for us to showcase more of our personal side and the happenings at Lone Star, which I'm even more excited about and, and more proud of because I think this is an even better way for us 
to, to market ourselves and to grow our relationships because as people reach out to you every single week, they say... It really uh, is every week, too. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. I mean, people say that it's a great way for them to learn more about us, to feel more like they have gotten to know us, they feel comfortable with us. There was just a big investor, by the way. Shout out, you know who you are. He just funded into uh, the three property portfolio, and he and his brother were going through a lot of our YouTubes to just hear what we have to say, get more comfortable with us. So it's legitimately crazy to think that uh, although we may not get as many views as Mr. Beast, we are converting and you know leveraging this one-to-many platform into real dollars into our uh you know our offerings which is just i didn't think that we would have i mean i don't know i didn't know i didn't know what to think i just did this for the love of the game wanted to do this for the love of the game to revamp it with you it just made sense to do at some point but i didn't think that we would actually have such tangible results already and reach the amount of people and have had the amount of conversations I've had to this point in the year. So, and only being basically a half year deep into kind of revamping this. So super flattered. And uh, it was, I think, one of the biggest pleasant surprises on my end that I feel pretty responsible for doing because remember it's like, no, we need to do a podcast. And like, okay, let's film and we did it. Let's do it. So I feel slightly responsible for that. So I feel very uh, proud of it. It's definitely uh, what was, in my opinion, the the biggest pleasant surprise to 2023, which was uh, we'll go back uh, in the brokerage years and commercial years as the lost year, I I really think. so. Fair enough. So what else do we want to say here? Oh, the other thing to shout out is Fun Friday. So for those that you don't know, that might follow this podcast uh, under the same umbrella, Capital Spotlight Umbrella. Craig also hosts the Fund Friday segment where he interviews fund managers, capital raisers, and investors. So if you'd like to be a guest on that podcast, uh, just reach out to Craig, and he's obviously doing that on Fridays. So you can go ahead and... Recording can be any day of the week, but the show is published and produced and released on Friday. That's right. So yeah, we'd love to, to have you on as a guest there. I, I'm sure things are going great on the Fun Friday yeah. as well. We got a nice bank going uh, as the holidays are coming up here, uh, but are always looking to have fresh and new uh, voices. And obviously, selfishly, it's easier for us to maybe have someone we've kind of been introduced to, don't know that well, but then if we can kind of show them a deal, and then I can get it on an hour-long forum with them where I can answer them, pepper them questions. We get to know each other better, and that ultimately will flow well into working with Lone Star. So it's all kind of a uh, scheme and a, a method, if you will, to you know, help kind of just translate um, you know, into equity, into our deals, and obviously build the relationships, which are the most important and key uh, aspect. So Yep, content exciting. into relationships. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps up the annual letter. Uh, we have a little bit of time left on this show to talk about 2024. And also in the letter, we talk about looking ahead in 2024. Our goal is to acquire $300 million in acquisitions across DFW, Houston, and San Antonio. We believe 2024 is going to be a fantastic year to buy deals. So we're really excited to make that happen and take advantage. It's not going to be easy, right? Because if it's, if it's a good opportunity, it has to be contrarian in some way. It means it might be a rougher deal or a more difficult time to raise equity, or debt is more difficult to navigate. But that's where we'll create the most value for our investors and for ourselves. So I think the consensus is it's going to be a great year, uh, even though we might be in a recession, right? But that's the paradox of investing, right? Like they say, 
people make the big money in the downturns, and then you reap what you sow when the market comes back. So I don't know if you have any other things that you want to say about 2024 and looking ahead. Yeah, I think that we went through a lot of collective brain damage in 2023 to set up 2024 to be a lot smoother. I think that although a lot of firms are going to experience kind of their lumps maybe coming up here or just had a slow last year, but then fundamentals are going to get rough there coming up. I think no one's immune to fundamentals kind of hurting the deals, but I do think that a lot of the headaches, I think hopefully will have been avoided and all actually will just be overall, I think just positive in 2024. I think it's going to be a way less friction filled year in 2024 than what we experienced in 2023. That's also partially my own experience due to the fact that I had to overcome the learning curve in year one in this business and the transition of it. But I think that it'll just be generally a lot smoother and exciting now that the cycle is basically, let's call it what it is, the cycle is restarted. So we're now in that kind of new, you know, honeymoon phase of a new market cycle, deals looking really sweet, yields being good, you know, people feeling good about maybe investing here coming up or uh, we'll start feeling good about it. So it's just, it's just generally exciting, I would say. Very much so. So in closing, you know, for this podcast and for the letter, I'd like to extend my deep gratitude to our investors who have chosen to partner with us. Obviously, there's a million ways that people can invest their money. So it's a true, uh, just amazing thing for someone to pick us and to choose to partner with us and even more so to continue to partner with us as well as refer us to their friends and family. So for that, we're extremely grateful and that's what really we get up thinking about every single day and what fuels our desire to continue to strive for excellence and innovation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think by 2025, we'll expand the portfolio into a billion. So we'll add another comma in there, be three commas when we talk about Lone Star Capital. That'll be a lot of fun. Maybe some exits in, in the new year uh, with, with the maneuvering that we're kind of uh, Could be. Could working be. on. So just generally exciting. Uh, what about any, for 2023, let's not look too far in the future. I think maybe we'll have, we'll have a little bit of that on the next show. But mm-hmm. what conferences did you like most? What's your view and outlook on conferences? I think you're, you're kind of done with them. <laughs> How many events will you speak at this year? Strategy, what, what are you kind of looking at on, on that front? Well, conferences are very valuable, but it's hit or miss as well. Uh, so like we talked about, I was actually just in Miami a week and a half ago uh, during our Basel for an event that I spoke at. And it was a good event. It was fun to speak there, and, and I appreciate being invited to speak. But, you know, it's a commitment to go down to Miami and do the whole thing and all that jazz. So it's not, it takes time and effort and money, of course, to travel to conferences and speak. And you never know what you're going to get out of it. Fortunately, we did meet a very cool investor that we're super excited to work with uh, at that event. So it honestly made it all worth it. And that's the crazy thing about networking. It's the crazy thing about conferences is you can meet one person or learn one thing and it can pay off 10x or 100x on your investment. So that's why I think conferences are certainly worth going to. But I think it's important to be selective and to not say yes to everything. So that's my goal is just to not say yes to everything because once I, when I first got in the game and 
first started attending conferences, I wanted to attend every conference just because what else did I have going on, right? And I didn't know, the, the possibilities were endless, right? But then as you get more established... You get jaded. Yeah. You get jaded. And also, even better, you start getting invited to speak uh, at conferences, which is an even better way to get more exposure and, and to build relationships. Uh, so that's really valuable. We'll still do that. I'm looking forward to Race Fest in Phoenix. I'm looking forward to Best Ever in, I think, April. And then I'm actually looking forward to NMHC this year in NMHC San Diego. In San Diego. That'll, that'll, that'll actually be fun. So. Yeah, that'll be really fun. That's a good way to just connect with a lot of people. And then Ascent in Miami every year is also really good in November. So you already have your ticket. So I got my ticket set up. Yes. Yep, yep, so I'll be so. at Ascent. My January is very, very chaotic and booked. I've got, uh, we have Texas. So if you're going to be in Texas, we're going to be in Houston, then San Antonio, the second week of January. So hit us up if you're potentially out there and want to connect. Maybe we'll have a cigar night and meet up. Um, and then I have IMN in Laguna, which is really the third week of January. And then to close out the month, I'll be in, uh, what's it called again? In San, Diego. San Diego for NMHC. So if you're going to be at NMHC, if you're going to be at the IMN uh, private Laguna event, uh, let us know, and obviously if you're going to be in Texas, let us know. Uh, I'm sure we're going to see everyone in Phoenix uh, for Rays Fest, mm -hmm. and then we'll have a little Sonona trip after, I believe, which will be fun. Uh, but lots of great things to kind of marinate on, and it'll be fun to think about goals for the new year, personal and work-related, uh, over the next, call it 10 days as the, the year changes over. 11 days, it's going to be very slow here coming up, which is bittersweet because we've been really fluid and humming. Um, but you know it's exciting. The deals that the new deals that we have have been received very well. Uh, so there seems to be uh, a lot of people who are excited for new raises and opportunities coming up. I agree. And it was just feels like a couple well, it was a couple months ago less that we did our annual event, our LSC Summit, and actually we just finally published the recap video. Yeah, the after video. Yeah, so would love for everyone to go check that out on YouTube and let us know what you thought about that recap video. Our video team always does a fantastic job. They could make the most boring event look like a movie. Yeah. So, but this was actually a good event. But rest assured, this was yeah. a good event, yeah. right? Uh, wink, wink, nod, nod. And, and yeah. A, yeah, very good event. So Dasha and I are already, what we, what we typically do is during this quiet period, last 10 days of the year, we sit down and really grind out the details of the upcoming event. So that's crazy. Just hosting conferences or, or a summit is such a crazy task. Cycle. It's it's such a big project. We plan the project in December, and then we actually host the event in September, October. So it's that much lead time to lock in the venue, to plan out the uh, agenda, the activities, the speakers, the food. food yeah, yeah. It, it's just there's so many details. Considering two menus, you know, it's not, not for all, easy. Yeah, yeah. For, for all of it to come together. So Dasha does a fantastic job. Dasha actually took Hunter's wife's course. I don't know if you knew that, but Hunter's wife is an event planner. Shout out Chrissy. And Dasha took her course when she first hosted it, and that was a, a big help. So... Yeah, hosting events, like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, is a super amazing way to connect with people, grow the network, and you never know who you're going to meet, even at your own event. So we're super excited to host what will be the fourth annual LSC Summit, which will again be at the One World Trade Center. We already locked in the dates and the deposit, 
So we'll be posting information on that soon, and so we'd love to see you there. Uh, but with that being said, it's going to be just a heads-up warning. It's going to be a very exclusive event, so we understand if you can't make it. Yeah. With that said, the year of 2023 was the year of the expert. How do you think you exuded that in 2023? How do you think you displayed that? So to me, year of the expert, which also for, for people that don't know, our, our friend group, we kind of have these themes about years. And so for 2023, it was the year of the expert. And so we would call each other out. And if we saw one of our friends or one of us doing something that we didn't feel that was in aligned, in alignment with their true goals or their purpose. Or, or if, they, if they had maybe potentially, we, we could see that they're going to have bad execution on their plans. We would gently make uh, alterations or suggestions to streamline their said process. Right. So that's what Year of the Expert's all about. It's being intentional, which is actually yeah, funny. You, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so because, because being, an ex, be, being, you know, Year of the Expert is about, okay, what are my goals and how can I best reach my goals, right? It's, it's or not even just that, but hey, what am I doing? And what does kind of the, and I hate to say this, but what does the average person do? Exactly. And how do I become a cut above in everything that I simply do? Exactly. You yeah. can't just walk through life doing the status quo thing. That down. is not year of the expert, yeah. right? That's year of the average. And so we want to be year of the expert. So, you know, for me, it's, it's about leveling up the quality of my decisions. And I think that that's really what it's all about because your life is a reflection of your decisions. And another way that I think about things is discipline or hard work are a given. It's not like, oh, well, this year I'm going to work really hard. No, I mean, you're going to work hard no matter what. That's a given. That shouldn't even be, and just set the record straight, that to say that, it's like that should just be the given like, that's table stakes. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the, the price of admission is simply that, yeah. The I always say this. The janitor works hard and the CEO works hard. The difference is the quality of the decisions that were made, right? So to say, I'm going to work harder this year, to me, that's not... You might need to work harder, but that's not necessarily the well, it right depends approach. where you're at, right? It depends well, where you're at. And you also say this as well. It's funny. Your baseline is like oh, this whole bragging about, oh, I worked 80-hour week, 60-hour week, 70-hour week. Well, that sucks. Like why that like you're not, you're not bragging you're not flexing to us if you're working all these hours if anything it's like well you're kind of the the idiot for doing that for lack of better words right like we it's like why don't you work thirty hour weeks forty hour weeks get everything done quicker if you can like that's a cooler right. thing to us frankly right. yeah it's like going back to school right and it's funny because that's just kind of the the work culture that we have in this country which is oh I worked so hard last night or I pulled an all nighter studying for the exam. Type of thing. Well, I'd rather the kid that just waltzes in and gets the A. Don't you want to be yeah. that? Yeah, the, the super genius. Which was genius. never me. Yeah. Right. The super genius who answers all the questions in half the time, turns in the paper, and walks out of class. Right? That's, uh, that's really not always possible, but what you want to be striving for. Not, oh, I work a million hours and that's my only path to be successful. Right? It's the year of the expert. It's thinking outside of the box and uh, pushing the status quo. So it's very similar. And I don't necessarily think it needs to be that different, but I don't think it's been solidified. But I think 2024 is the year of intentionality. We might think of something better. If you have something better in mind, anybody listening, let us know. But I really like intentionality because it's in alignment with my ethos of treating everything as work. Right? You hear me say this all the time. 
I'm always working. Even if it doesn't look like I'm working. Like if I'm laying on a beach, I'm still working because to me, life is about work. If I'm laying on that beach, I'm working hard to maximize my enjoyment. I'm not just turning off and doing nothing. Or if I am turning off and doing nothing. It's by design. It's by design. Yeah. It's, it's the best turning off and doing nothing, right? It's not just happenstance. So being intentional with it, knowing when you're going full bore, knowing when you're shutting things down and relaxing, whatever you're doing, being intentional about it. I guess we'll have an official statement next week. So we got to actually have this wrapped up before the year ends because obviously there's a little bit of a lag between doing this and publishing. So we need to get sharp and smart on this uh, prior to submission of uh, the next show, which will be airing on New Year's Day. So we'll have to think about that one uh, indeed. Uh, so that's something to, to ponder on and to think about. Do you have any final thoughts um, and wrap-up thoughts for your last wrap-up and last address to the public, uh, if you will, the, the audience uh, for 2023? No. I have something. Go ahead. Make sure the math is in your favor because all the deals are getting capital called, math wasn't in your favor. So make sure everything in life, the math is in your favor. Uh, so yeah, that's my uh, the tip and the thought of the day. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. I'll let you close us out as you do so well. Yes. So, of course, once more, if you're looking to raise equity for a great partner like us and uh, would like to have a conversation about what that looks like, please email me. If you have any looming 1031 exchanges that need a home of 750K or higher, uh, let me know. We'd love to take care of you and help potentially help that one out and kind of line up uh, all those ducks, get them in a row. Uh, and then if you're looking to get on our mailing list, not hard to do, go on our website. Uh, but once more, just thank you so much. It's been a very, very, uh, it's been a very, very interesting year in 2023. Uh, and we're looking forward to a more impactful and better 2024. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the new year.